Thank you very much, Desiree, and uh, I guess I should say merci beaucoup, uh, Helio. Sounds like a French name to me, Auguste. I should let you know that uh, Eric is doing quite well. Okay, it's nice to see you here, and uh, I guess Eric might even be more comfortable than we are. It's uh, air-conditioned, I guess, where he is. Uh, he had a little medical procedure during the week, and his doctor said, just take it easy for about a week or so. Uh, so he is, is doing pretty well. Thank you. Well, today I'm going to talk about God's energy drink, as you can see from the sermon title in the bulletin. Uh, but before we talk about God's energy drink, uh, I'd like to talk about the uh, energy drinks that are on the market today. Uh, there are health dangers in energy drinks, and uh, Brendan Nicholas of The Body Project, which is a, a Brisbane-based fitness enterprise, makes a few points about these energy drinks. And you're familiar with some of them, like uh, V, uh, Red Bull. Uh, some of them do quite well in appealing to young people because of their association with sporting events, as you know. And uh, Brendan Nicholas says, most of these energy drinks contain extremely high levels of caffeine. Caffeine is not only addictive, it is also a diuretic. And uh, the Sports Medicine Australia uh, have this to say about these energy drinks. Caffeine is a stimulant that speeds up parts of the body and brain. It increases heart rate, blood pressure and body temperature. In very high doses, it can cause hand tremors and changes in the heart's rhythm. As a diuretic, it also causes dehydration. Too much caffeine can have a negative effect both on sports performance and on health. So even though it's associated with advertising for sporting events, it can actually have the, the negative effect as to what you might think. I noticed that the Australian Broadcasting Commission uh, had this to say about research in the United States by Dr. Stephen Lipschultz of the University of Miami. They found that drinks have been linked, the, these drinks have been linked with serious adverse effects, especially in children, adolescents, and young adults. Uh, this contrasts with Red Bull's website. And you know what the Red Bull say about their product? They say, it's an energy drink that will increase concentration and reaction speed and improve vigilance and emotional status. It seems as though these energy drinks promise a lot but they actually deliver bad outcomes. In searching for satisfaction of the deepest emotional and spiritual needs, people are often deceived by the evil one. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 4, and this is where we will spend most of our time in the next few minutes. It's a familiar story, but let's see on this hot and thirsty day whether we can gain some blessing from reading about the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. In John chapter 4, and I'll start with verse 4, and it says that Jesus needed to go through the Jesus needed to go through Samaria. You know, most Jews avoided going through Samaria. There was a an antipathy between the Jews and the Samaritans. And if you had to go in that particular direction which could have taken you through Samaria, you didn't go as a Jew. You went around. You took the long route. 
And, uh, but Jesus says needed to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria and Judea in the south were both one uh, administrative unit at this time under that infamous character Pontius Pilate. And so verse 5 says, He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And uh, the first part of verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. A couple of years ago, my wife and I had the the privilege of uh, visiting Jacob's well. Um, This is a view of the Greek Orthodox Church that is being built over the top of Jacob's well. And uh, I took this photograph looking down from Mount Gerizim, which is, of course, well known to us uh, from Bible records. and there's a, a faithful Greek Orthodox priest there. He's quite venerable, as you can see from this photograph. And he welcomed us and our group into the, the church so that we could go and visit Jacob's well. Now, this is a view of the interior of the church. And uh, quite some years ago, his predecessor was, was hacked to death by a, 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 medic, a, a mentally disturbed Jewish radical. Um, he was never brought to justice, and this is how it is between Jews and Christians. Sometimes, even a couple of years ago, um, some Jews firebombed one of the, the Christian churches in Israel, and I saw the results of that when I was there. There's still all the, the smoke stains. And so, this man, together, uh, un- unusually, together with a, a Palestinian man from the refugee camp nearby, he and the two of them have been ornamenting this church and restoring it to its glory. It's quite a testament to their efforts. But we go down to the basement, and there you'll find Jacob's well. It's still there today. And uh, someone asked me this morning whether I had tasted the water. I said, Wayne, they asked me if I tasted the water of this well. But uh, I said to him, we, I didn't want to use one of those beakers. That's what everyone uses. <laughs> And just had a little bit of hesitation. You know, you've got to be careful when you're traveling. So here we are bringing up the water from Jacob's well. And uh, it's uh, still there today. And it's a bit hard to shift a well. Um, going on to the second part of verse 6. And so Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It would have been in the open air at that time. It was about the, the sixth hour. So the sixth hour by reckoning was, of course, noontime. It was about the middle of the day, during the heat of the day. And Jesus was probably hot and thirsty, and certainly he was weary. We notice in verse 7 that a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, this is not a woman of the city of Samaria, but she was a Samaritan woman. And uh, the city of Samaria was two hours' walk away from here. So we're certainly not talking about the city of Samaria, just as she was from the, the area of Samaria. And she came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Uh, she was a, a Samaritan. It was unusual for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan. It was more unusual for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman. But he asked the, the woman for a drink. You know, we read in 
Matthew chapter 4 about the temptations of Jesus and one of those temptations was that he would turn stones into what? Into bread. But did Jesus do that? No. In fact, there is no record anywhere in Scripture of Jesus ever performing a miracle to satisfy his own needs. He ministered to the needs of others. And so he, he could have performed a miracle, couldn't he? To satisfy his thirst. But he asked for the help of this Samaritan woman. The Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary on page 937, 938 of volume 5 points out that there were four stages that Jesus followed in winning this woman. The verses 7 to 15 create a desire. Now you and I know very well that that's one of the purposes of advertising, isn't it? You know, you see something, uh, one of our recent lessons in Sabbath school, I think, said, I see, I want, I take. You know, you, you see something and you've got this desire. If only I had that, uh, then this would be the outcome. But Jesus, first of all, creates a desire. And in verses 16 to 20, it points out that he brought about a conviction of need. It wasn't just a desire, but it was need. I need this water of life, this God's energy drink that Jesus is offering to me. The third step was a call for decision to accept Jesus as the Messiah. I that speak to you am he. I am the Messiah, verses 21 to 26. And then in verses 28 to 30 and 39 to 42, it results in action, a stimulus to action. And I believe that these Steps are a guide for us today. Let's look at verse 8. For his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. And so here he is alone with this woman outside the town. The shop, disciples have gone off shopping for food. Jesus often taught crowds of people, but he was very happy in talking with the one person or just the two person audience as well. Verse 9, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. It's a surprising act on Jesus' part to ask for a drink. You know, this woman with her background, as you know from the story, who'd had five husbands, uh, I can quite imagine she was quite a forthright sort of woman. Uh, perhaps even a little bold and brassy, perhaps a little saucy. Um, she was not afraid to speak up. I, I can picture her there putting her water jar down and she puts one hand on her hip and uh, with the jaunty angle of her chin says, what's going on here? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. That means it's a no conversation area. Samaritans were descendants of pagan tribes settled in northern Israel by the Assyrians. Most Samaritans still live in that region today, says Jürgen Zangenberg, Chair for History and Culture of Judaism and Early Christianity at Leiden University in the Netherlands. And racial prejudice is still prevalent today. My wife and I had the privilege of visiting this centre that's on the screen here. It's the, uh, the Good Samaritan Centre, interestingly enough. Um, it's a Samaritan study centre and museum and uh, we went inside. The, the priest showed me 
the copy of the scriptures. Now their scriptures are only the writings of Moses. They accept no other writings from what we would call the Old Testament. Just the Pentateuch, the, the five, first five books of our Bible. And uh, the, the priest, uh, as you can see, he is there. And there's someone else that you might recognize with him. And it was interesting to go and visit him and hear their story and the views of the Samaritans today. Let's have a look at verse 10 now. Jesus answered and said to the woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus cuts through all the, 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 uh, the bravado and the bluff of this woman. He speaks to her spiritual need. He offers her living water, not a drink for the body, but for the soul. Not a drink that will satisfy for just a little while to be replaced by the need to come and drink again, but a permanent satisfaction of spiritual thirst. He uses the expression zone, living water, fresh water, flowing water, life-giving water. Now in, Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 28, if you'll turn with me there just for a moment. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus, Jesus used the same word here when he talks about spiritual life. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Speaking in answer to the, to the uh, religious lawyer uh, about what he could do to inherit, inherit eternal life. You will have spiritual life. And so Jesus offers the, the woman living water. This is God's energy drink. He is, in fact, as we read in John 3.16, he is the gift of God. I'd like you to turn over with me briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians 9.15, and here Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I like the way the New Living Translation puts this. Thanks God, thank God for his son, a gift too wonderful for words. And he is, isn't he? The gift of Jesus for us is a transforming gift. It's one that we can never repay, but we can only accept. In uh, The Desire of Ages, page 184, Alan White says, The woman had not comprehended the words of Christ, but she felt their solemn import. Her light, bantering manner began to change. Let's look at verse 11 and the first part of the verse. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You notice her initial contact in responding to Jesus says, How is it that you are Jew? It was almost like a, a word that's derogatory. You are Jew. <laughs> you know, Samaritans, if they said a person was a Jew, it was like a put-down. But now she doesn't say, you are Jew. She says, sir, in addressing him. And she does that a little later in the narrative as well. In verse, in the second half of the verse, where then do you get that living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? One author comments, it is often considered this site of the Jacob's well, it's often thought to be the most authentic site in the Holy Land. 
And uh, if you've been to the Holy Land, perhaps you heard your guide saying, this is thought to be the location of such a... This is the traditional spot of the traditional site of the baptism or things like that. But, you know, he, this author says, no one can move a well that was originally more than 40 metres deep. The location for this event in the territory assigned to descendants of Joseph. Let's uh, look at verses 13 and 14. Jesus is speaking, he says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now the Greeks, uh, when they, they wrote or they spoke, they had a little knack of putting emphasis on, uh, on a, the personal program, pronoun. Normally, you just have the verb in its form. The, uh, and so you would have, in this case, uh, the water that I shall give. But in here, it puts the word for I in as well as the verb. And this was a method of saying, I myself, I. is drawing attention to the fact that he is the giver of this gift of living water the gift that will create a, 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 a satisfaction which will be lasting. Once again in Desire of Ages, page 184, I read, He who seeks to quench his thirst at the fountains of this world will drink only to thirst again. Everywhere men's souls are unsatisfied. They long for something to supply the need of the soul. Only one can meet that want. The need of the world, the desire of nations is Christ. The divine grace which he alone can impart is as living water, purifying, refreshing and invigorating the soul. You know, Jesus doesn't say that a once-only drink of this living water will satisfy the thirst. But he does imply that if we continually come to him to satisfy that need, we will have an eternal satisfaction. Let's have a look at verse 15 now. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Her desire is awakened. The desire is not immediately satisfied by Jesus. Jesus reveals three things that the woman needs and that we all need. One is her sin, her lifestyle. And it's interesting to notice the way Ellen White describes her reaction the listener, that is the woman, the listener trembled. A mysterious hand was turning the pages of her life history, bringing to view that which she had hoped to keep forever hidden. And so she says, what you have said is true. She acknowledges her sin. The second was her need, verses 19 to 25. The Messiah to come. The need of a spiritual rebirth like Nicodemus in the, in the previous chapter. She realized that her real thirst was that of the soul. And verse 26, the filling of that need, I am the Messiah. Owen White says in Desire of Ages, page 190, as the woman heard these words, faith sprang up in her heart. She accepted the wonderful announcement from the lips of the divine teacher. And so let's skip down then. You know the rest of the story. Uh, we'll go down to verse 28. The woman then left her water pot went away into the city. I think she was excited, don't you? She even left her water pot there. That was why she had come, 
to get water, but she just left it there and back into the city of Sychar in her excitement. She forgot her need for the water. She forgot Jesus' request even for a drink. She wanted the living water and she wanted others to have it too. And so in verse 29, we notice that she witnessed, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She spoke about the one that she had found, or I might say, the one who had found her. Verse 30, Then they went out of the city and came to him. Her words had an impact on her hearers. And verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. And some believed, you see, because of what she said, because of her testimony. But you notice verses 41 and 42, that there were others who believed as well. And many more believed because of his own word. That's the words of Jesus. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe... Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the, the Saviour of the world. In days gone by, as far back as Roman times, in fact, people from the English county of Derbyshire and from further afield would go to a little town called Buxton. Perhaps some of you have been there. Perhaps you have drunk of the, the water that is available there. It was supposed to have healing qualities. Some people would be lowered down into the water to be bathed. Other places in the United Kingdom, uh, places such as Moffat, a spa town on the Scottish borders. Bath is well known in Somersetshire. And uh, a couple of years ago, Monica and I went to Harrogate in North Yorkshire. And uh, we went to the place where they draw the water from, from these uh, spas. And the man said to us, would you like to smell this water? And he had a, a cloth over a jug. He said, I've just drawn the water this morning. And uh, he said, he lifted the cloth off it, and I smelled it, and it was highly sulfurous. <laughs> they had two kinds of springs there. One was a mineral spring, and the other was a sulfur spring. And people believed that these springs would give them healing properties, that they were life-giving. The water of life, as it were. But not to be compared with the water of life that Jesus offered to the Samaritan woman and that he offers to you and to me today, freely available by faith in Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 8, we have a, a poetic description of this satisfying water. Isaiah 45, 45 and verse 8 and I'm reading here from the New American Standard Bible. Drip down, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds pour down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit, and righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And Isaiah 55 and verses 1 to 3, the words that Jesus applied to himself. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. 
In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus applies those words of Isaiah 55, to, uh, verse 1, to himself. And perhaps we could just turn there a couple of pages over from where we are in John 4. John chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Some years ago, I I read a, a book which was published in London way back in 1875. It was entitled Journey Across the Western Interior of Australia and was written by Peter Egerton Warburton. Now, the name Warburton means something to us as Australians, doesn't it? You've heard of the Warburton River. um, The town of Warburton, by the way, in Victoria, was not named after this particular Warburton. But uh, the Warburton River in northeastern South Australia, a couple of ranges, and he even has the honour of a beetle being named after him. But what about the man behind the name? In 1872, he set out from Adelaide in South Australia to find an overland route from Adelaide to Perth via Alice Springs, of all things. The party consisted of himself, his son Richard, J.W. Lewis, who was an experienced bushman, two Afghan camel drivers, Saleh and Halim, Dennis White, the cook, and Charlie, an indigenous tracker. It was Charlie who proved to be their saviour because they found themselves being, first, being forced further and further north in their quest to find water. Heat and lack of surface water were the enemies along the way uh, with the ailing camels. Some of the camels had to be killed and eaten for food. Some native wells or soaks at the bottom of dunes provided some relief from thirst as they went way up north and crossed the great sandy desert. Eventually their great need of water was supplied when they reached the Oakover River. But by this time, they were all in a bad way. Warburton was strapped to one of the two remaining camels and near death, and all the men were suffering scurvy. Warburton lost sight in one eye, but it was their arrival at the Oakover River that saved their lives. They were able to drink. They never appreciated just how much water meant to them until they reached that river and it provided their salvation. 1,300 kilometres north of Perth, it brought them back to life. You know, over in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 6, we read some encouraging words. Revelation 21, verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. I invite you today to drink of God's energy drink, the water of life, drink of that life-giving water which Jesus provides to us through himself. And ultimately, as it says in Revelation 22, we will experience that time when we will see, as John did, the pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Lord, hasten that day. Loving Father in heaven, we have just sung that you are the fountain of life to us. Let the healing streams abound in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.